on maynard.com.au au what we gonna do where we gonna go I'm backstage right now with Brian Mannix listening to intensely some Barbara Streisand. We've got some problems with Barbara, haven't we? Well, Barbara, we were just explaining the Star is Born version by Barbara Streisand and really the song she sings at the end, she's a great theatre singer, but at the end what she's delivering is nothing short than Yiddish disco. gets away with it because Chris Christopherson has previously in the movie shelved us up with The Crippled Crow. Which is just dreadful. And the only thing worse than both of these songs is the bit where Chris Christopherson, obviously too immature to accept that she wants to have a baby, so gets on the motorbike when they're living out in the desert, and then Barbara comes out dressed up in the white pants and ends up with a big brown patch on her B.O.T. Tom, <laughs> and it looks... Oh, I'm sorry, but I challenge everybody to look at the movie and tell me that it doesn't look like she's had an explosive shit in her white strides. Well, maybe they had a scare on the road. Barbara's just come in looking like she's doing a fashion shoot and ended up with a big brown thing right on her lemonade and sass. When was the last time you played Sydney, by the way? I was just trying to think when this line-up, you guys haven't been to Sydney before, have you? Is this Sydney? He tours so much, you see. Here we are at DY. Um, Good to uh, have friends in Sydney and have friends in Brisbane and... Don't have as many friends in Adelaide. Not many people have friends in Adelaide, full stop. Well, actually, I do. I've got probably (laughs) more friends in Adelaide, which says a hell of a lot about the city of churches. Well, have they never heard of Rome? I reckon they've got a few churches. They probably have. Who would be the Pope of Adelaide, do you reckon? Don Dunstan. Nick Cave could give it a go. Yeah, okay. In fact, he has that great quote from me. He said, some things are best left... Oh, look out. Careful. Sure, oh, oh, hang on. Look out. Don't get your naughty bag wet. I've just knocked over my drink okay. and uh, we'll get back to Brian later. <laughs> now let's get this thing started with a bunch of guys wanted by the Australian Taxation Office. It's absolutely 18. Here we are coming to you from the HR department of the uh, Cronulla RSL. And what a better environment we couldn't have for our first ever interview, Scott Kahn. Fabulous. Of course, you'd know Scott from Kids in the Kitchen and all sorts of things. What are some of the other bands you've been in as well as that? Just near the end of Kids in the Kitchen, I was offered a show at Inflation Nightclub in Melbourne. I loved Elvis, and, and they said, what do you want to do? And I said, oh, a little Elvis cover band, so to speak. It was called Priscilla's Nightmare. We did like a residency at Inflation, which lasted, I think, three or four months. And yeah. Priscilla's Nightmare, I'm pretty sure I've got the album. So I did this gig at uh, Inflation. It was crazy, you know, and I didn't start till like midnight and finish at 3am or something like that. Suddenly I was going, wow, I'm making actually real money now. There's no managers involved. So that part of it was a lot of fun. We had a great gig. And then Molly came in, of course, said, oh, you got to record this stuff. And so we kind of recorded a fun album. Then we decided to write a couple of tunes in the style of the sound of the rockabilly, rock and roll sound of the 50s and 60s. And it was a lot of fun. She ain't no woman, she's an No woman ever looked like that before. 
disappointment or money regret with that band is that a guy from Vegas came in through someone else and, and saw the show. He said, I want to take you back and do a run at Vegas, some big casino he had. And I said, no, I'm, no, I'm not interested. I'm just about to go and do my solo record, which gets me onto my solo record. And that was all I want to do. Another song called Freedom. By that stage, I kind of hit mid-twenties and I was a bit burnt out. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to give music a break for a while, which I did. And just went into recording studios for the next ten-odd years, a couple of cover bands, one being Human Soup a show band cover band I just did the songs I was listening to at the time a mixture of everything from 60s and 70s to Happy Mondays that kind of 90s stuff a bit of Stone Roses and that kind of thing so that was a lot of fun kept me alive it put bread and water on the table for me the, the decades just kept rolling on until we hit the noughties and um, reinvented ourselves with this 80s show now we've got yeah. the Absolutely 80s show Look, the Absolutely 80s you're the manager the confidant the HR department the psychiatrist for everybody and everything you've got, you've got a broad church you have to cover as the the ringmaster of the whole thing. The ringmaster, yes. Be careful how you use those words. After we did the 206 Countdown tour, Brian and I, and I rekindled a lot of a lot of friendships with guys that I didn't actually have proper friendships with in the 80s. Sean Kelly and the likes, and, and Brian and I got on like a house and fire. Back in the day, we were kind of like the enemies of each other because yes, we were very competitive. So what would the tension have been like in the Countdown green room, dressing room, if a couple of you guys were on the same show together? Was What, what was the feeling there? It was kind of like ours is bigger than yours kind of scenario. And also, too, there was a lot of a lot of jealousy, I think. There was a lot of jealousy towards each other, you know, who's doing what, this kind of thing. Little did we know we were from the same camp, and all these years later, what we have in common is the era and the, um, the same tour stories. All of our Sadies guys with this particular show, the best of friends these days, but back then we were you know, quite competitive. Sean Kelly's always been quite a, a quirky performer, I've always thought. You bring out the showman in Sean Kelly when he's on stage, doing even songs like I Hear Motion. That's what Sean says. The Absolutely 80s show is about we want the songs to sound pure and as close to the original recordings as we can. It's just about having fun and putting on a show. And I think with Sean, Sean was always stuck behind a guitar with the models and he still kind of is and it's a release from that and it explores the showman in you because we all kind of pump each other's ties up one comes on and the next oh, person yes. comes it's on it's really supportive who would have thought I'm very excited tonight because I have never had Shine on CD and I'm going to get Shine from your merch table down there what was it about Shine that caught lightning in the bottle at that time was it 85 or am I out there yeah you're, you're about right I'm, I'm not quite sure myself Two singles recorded, Change and Move, the first one, and that was obviously the tester with Mushroom Records that went through the roof. And then bang, let's go and do another one. We did Bit of Desire. (laughs) 
kind of a song written in the studio, funny enough. We wanted to record another one, and this producer, Dave Kirshenbaum, came into our rehearsal studio. I think at that stage he did Joe Jackson and a few other kind of 80s stars, and he came over and as our producer in his pink jumpsuit, and uh, <laughs> you know, LA kind of guy, and he came over and heard this song we were, we were fleshing out as an idea. He said, hey, I love that groove, let's record that. It's like, What? So suddenly we're forced into recording, so we wrote this song in the studio, which as a result came Bitter Desire, which we were lucky enough to finish and record, release and record and have it be a, you know, quite a good hit. And then we kind of moved into recording the album. So we had like three singles, I think, in total before the album was released. It was something you said. Is this something between us? Current stand. Current stand, yeah. Which was kind of silly because you kind of miss out on those record sales from the first few. It still, I think, went double platinum or something or rather in the end. iconic album for the time we had no idea what we're doing really we're just making music and hoping for the best have you ever heard anybody do any interesting covers of any of your tracks oh yes i've heard a couple kind of guys in russia and and italy have done versions of them it's kind of amusing enough yeah Where's a good place to find you online and find out some more about your stuff? Absolutely, 80sshow.com.au. If you're looking for kidsinthekitchen.com.au, that's another one. And Let's get out there and get on stage. Love your work, mate. We've got uh, Sean Kelly as well, and he was uh, hiding in the corner of the room there looking at his favourite AFL game, but we managed to get him out during halftime to have a chat. Collingwood aren't on yet, but uh, of course I'm sure they'll do brilliantly, as they always do. I haven't toured with a whole bunch of Melbournians for a while, and I forget the excitement and lust of AFL. You know, I actually, I did live up in New South Wales for 10 years, and I eventually came across to rugby league, and I'm a Roosters man. There you go, that's about the only sport you ever get here on Planet Maynard. Sean, it was great work. Working with you last night, first time this century, I think I've worked with you. I think the last time I saw you was when the models first came back at Fox Studios years ago. This show is bringing out the showman in you. Well, that's funny you should say that. We're all sort of uh, torn as to whether to look at social media and stuff, but I, I saw a post today of someone put a comment near a photo of me last night going, Sean, you always look so lost without the guitar. Listeners, I don't play the guitar in this show. I just ponce around... And so to Simone of Nidri, stuff you. Social media, getting back to the football analogy, it's people who've never pulled on the boot making a comment about they've never been on stage in their life and how would they go? Yeah. Like, why doesn't she get up there and try and sing a bloody slow ballad without hitting any bum notes, surrounded by chaos? And And chaos does ensure at the end of the show where you're all up there on stage together. I won't be playing trombone tonight because we've got the world's smallest stage. I think it's actually a postage stamp, which they've turned upside down. We're performing on tonight here at Cronulla. Yes, it is a concern. That was certainly a highlight when you brought out the trombone and, you know, we were all sort of reaching for our horns. Let me rephrase that. Where's Where's my flugelhorn? Where's my uh, euphonium? 
you know, it's hard to believe it's since the previous century because I'm fond of telling people that, yeah, I'm going to join the 21st century and, you know, get on <laughs> Facebook and Skybook and all that. But, in fact, it's nearly 20 years. It's you the should turn of the century. Go get yourself a MySpace page, just to phrase everyone out, because it's still around. <laughs> Don't forget, kids, catch me on MySpace. That'll show them. You singing uh, I Hear Motion. You know, you try and hit the right notes. It's, it's a really good song. It's good for me because it's probably James Freud sang a lot of the model's big hits, but that's one that I can sort of claim as my own. It's kind of cool singing yeah. it. What a loss that was too with James. That's funny you should say that. It's actually... Uh, Today is Saturday, the 29th of June. It's James's birthday. He would have been 60 today. As I'm fond of saying, uh, roll over Beethoven. It's a pity. We, we miss him. When you originally recorded Barbados, did you both do a lead vocal on that? And you had to sort of pick which one to release? <laughs> no, he kind of muscled his way into the lead vocal there. It's a bit of a sore spot with me. I'm, I'm oh, singing it occasionally now with the 80s band. It started off as an Andrew Duffield tune, and then James and I grafted the vocal arrangement onto it. But somewhere down the track, they kind of they removed me from the royalty stream. I sing, I sing the bits that I wrote and I think, well, I wrote this bit and I wrote that bit and those lyrics are mine. I remembered when I was with the Castanet Club in 1984 at uh, The Last Laugh in Melbourne. I think I remember you playing a cassette version of the demo version. I remember hearing it and I'm thinking, oh, it's an okay song. I don't think it's a world winner. But when it was all produced up, it turned into a great pop song. It is a bit strange. It's As I said, it started off as a Andrew Duffield instrumental. And, and his album, Ten Little Fingers. Ten Happy Fingers. Oh, Ten Happy Fingers, um, sorry. He's really quite a whiz kid when it comes to composition and keyboards. I Hear Motion started off the same way. It was just a, a tune that Andrew came up with and we, myself and James Freud, arranged the vocal over the top. Good. That's how Barbados came about. It did end up with a kind of a slightly, I don't know, almost like a rock rhythm section or something. There's a few alternative versions around, and I guess they might see the light of day at some point where it was actually more of a traditional calypso sort of feel rather than the Mark Opitz-inspired rock rhythm section.
it seemed to connect because, you know, it was quite a popular tune for a while back there, last century, Maynard. I asked Scott Kahn this question too. Have you heard any great covers of your stuff that's really surprised you? Once. There's a, a band called Devil Monkey from Melbourne who have done a cover of On. I Pretty good. But prior to that, people just kept doing these remixes of I Hear Motion and they would do stuff like just use the chorus or just the little four bars of keyboards at the start so they'd effectively remove my lead vocal. sent this mix for approval it's like what I'm supposed to like myself being removed from the song <laughs> happily Warner Brothers recently unearthed our original extended mixes that Nick Launay produced oh. when we first did it back in the previous century there's another model's kind of rarity that might see the light of day soon hopefully The Pleasure of Your Company was the album's name yes indeed I find that to be an Australian romantic album that wasn't what you were trying to be. <laughs> well, no, we actually did jump on the new romantic bandwagon. You're correct there. We'd been a punk band for a while. Our models sort of morphed out of several punk bands into the so-called new wave, which then morphed into the new romantic With the movement. art school influence. We're not afraid to steal <laughs> ideas from other kind of cultures and stuff. Yes, indeed, there was the new wave, and then there was new romanticism, and indeed we were a part of those spurious Borrowed styles. Then we just turned all eclectic. If I could play a track from your entire back catalogue, one you're really proud of that people don't always hear. People sort of love King of Kings. It's a bit of a kind of obscure one that we never play. It was a charity single too for Salvation it Army. It was indeed. At the time, I got teased about being a Bible basher, which was a bit strange. Had anyone met you that actually... Uh... Yeah, being a born-again atheist. No, it's actually not supposed to be a real prayer. It's a kind of abstract little prayer about the world going to hell in a handbasket. Unfortunately, you've been proved right. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Sean Kelly. Thanks, Maynard. And if we want to catch you online, there is nowhere, is there, really? Have you got um, your own website? I've got a Twitter account, Sean Kelly 356 at Sean Kelly 356 You get on board. And look, get that MySpace page, man. Snapchat's next, then Instagram. <laughs>
going to hell in a handbasket. Unfortunately, you've been proved right. Yes, indeed. Oh, Oh, look, I've just knocked over my drink on maynard.com.au. AU! Bryson and Hume. Everything digital.